0: welcome back to everything all at once the podcast where we blend the chaotic life of our early 20s with the psychology behind it my name is francesca if you're new here welcome and this week we got a fun episode we're going to uncover a lot of questions having to do with the single stigma in our early 20s is it wrong to want a relationship? Why do we feel pressured to be in a relationship in our 20s? How do we dismantle the self-stigma of single shame built into women? All of this and more. But first, let's get into a little life update. So the other day, I, I did something very impulsive. And I'm not an impulsive person, but I've always wanted to dye my hair a little bit. And I was going to get my hair done at this really nice salon that my mom normally goes to that I do not go to because my grandma cuts my hair because she's a hairdresser. So I don't really go to salons often. So when I do, it's it's a treat. And I was thinking that I would just, you know, get some highlights. And they are the slightest highlights ever. But I swear to God, I am a new person. I'm a new woman. My life is complete. Nobody talks to me. New back, new hair. I got some new clothes. I'm feeling like a brand new woman, untouchable. I don't think a man will literally ever understand the feeling of walking out of a salon with a new blowout. The power of a blowout is insane. I'm on top of the world. All the problems that I walked into the salon with, such as, you know, housing, do my credits transfer, all of that is gone now. Why? I'm too pretty. I'm too pretty to deal with it. I'm absolutely never doing anything else to my hair you know was i coerced into buying way too many hair products there absolutely i fell victim to purchasing way too many and i don't regret it at all i don't regret it i convinced myself that i learned how to do a blowout in the entire time i was there and now i feel like a professional hairdresser and when i go out my hair will only look like this so I just want to relish in the good feeling that was this haircut. And it's not only that. It's that when women get a haircut, we also walk out with a new friend. This hairdresser knows everything about my life start to finish. I know everything about her and her kids start to finish. We are in a greater relationship than anybody I've ever known right now. So that bond unbreakable. And I will be seeing her over Thanksgiving break. Thank you. Good night. She also put me in contact with a facialist. I got I got a facial for the first time. That was crazy. And then also a wax woman. So, you know, at first I felt stupid. I was like, oh my God, what am I doing all these things? Like I'm getting a facial. I don't get facials. I don't take care of my nails. Like I don't do my hair. Then I was thinking, you just don't have good self-care. Normal women and normal people take the time out of their day to do these things. It's okay for you, too, because during school, I I self-care just completely out the window. I'm like, my nails haven't gotten them done in three months. I went the whole quarter last year and didn't get my nails done until I came back home. It was just basic things that I need to do that now I'm learning to make time for. And that's been really good. I feel transformed like a new woman. Do I feel ready to go back to school? It's, It's quickly approaching, and I'm a little nervous, but that is beside the point. I recently also saw an old friend and it just reminded me of, you know, energy takers versus energy givers, that sort of notion of friends that you know they're the right friends when you walk out of the hangout or whatever setting you were in and you feel like you can do more. Like they gave you more energy and they didn't need anything from you. For example, some of my family, family friends, whatever it may be, when you walk and you look at their relationship it's like they always want something from you and then there are those friends where they don't want anything from you and they just bring this energy that afterwards you feel like you're still laughing about what they said 10 minutes ago we had the most intense gossip session and i i had the most fun ever i've had in a long time because i've been in a little bit of quarantine because of my back but the swelling finally went down like i'm back to wearing normal clothes I am hyped to get cleared in a few days. I think it's like four or three days. I'm very nervous for that. But this is just a little reminder from my life update that go see an old friend, go text them, go meet up with them. Trust me, if anything, you'll get a good laugh. And the amount of times that we said, like, riddle me this, like, coffee was put down, my head was forward, I was leaning in. If you know, you know. If somebody is like, oh, wait, I forgot something. Or, wait, I need to tell you this before I forget. Those little conversational cues, it just makes my insides tingle. I don't want anything else to happen. The earth could be shattering. And I'd be like, wait, I cannot evacuate until we finish what's going on. That was the kind of session we were having. And I strive to have that in every conversation, to be honest. Next, uh, let's see, still walking. Very much walking everywhere. Last night, I was walking pretty late and I saw this kid just completely i think it was like a 10 or 11 no 10 and he took a traffic cone and there was like a crosswalk sign in the street he just i was watching him hit it for about 10 minutes until i was like wow uh i don't really know what's going on there no point to that story other than i'm just really concerned with the kids and the upbringing these days other than that and then i went to go get coffee and then you know the The tip screen. So normally the barista is like doing their own thing. You know, they're kind of sidetracked. They're not always just like eyeing you up. Like they give you the side eye, but they're not really solely focused on you. This cashier, guns blazing. It's not even to turn the screen. It was like a little pin pad. And she just pushed the pin pad forward, looked at me, and was like, like, looked at me up and down. And I've never felt so much fear in my life. I was like, I will give you all my money. Just take it and go. Take it and go. Because they know what they're doing. And you know at Starbucks, my drink is I've never said this so many times. 345 I think I paid seven fucking dollars for a 12 ounce triple shot. That's ridiculous. And that's why I only stay to those to Starbucks. And Laclome. But that's for money purposes. The other day I'm not a cold brew gal, but I got this coconut cream cold brew down the shore best coffee I've had in a really long time. Anyways, um, let's see what else. I'm broke. That's a really big concern. I'm broke as fuck. I have a little money saved up and, you know, hopefully that will carry me. Will it? Mm, Probably not. And I'm trying to get a job currently struggling on that front because i still got to go to physical therapy i have to figure that out i still haven't heard back from the housing office i don't really know what's going on with my life with the move in with the new school i do this thing where i avoid things until i'm actually there for example my surgery didn't mentally physically prepare at all i just went and i was like oh be fine did not take into consideration anything beforehand uh did the same thing in california And I'm trying to do the same thing this time, but it's really hard when the housing office won't get back to me. I might have some school scheduling conflicts that I don't know how to deal with. So, they're really preying on my downfall. And I'm just going to rise above it by getting new hairs, facials. I'm just going to do everything in the world I can to not deal with it and not do the work I need to do. So, that's been amazing. And lastly, I've had this very bad dilemma where... I will go down and I will do work on the podcast. I will do work on my personal training, group training, and I cannot focus. And then as soon as I'm walking, I'm the most creative I've ever been all of a sudden. I have like two bajillion ideas. I'm writing them all down miscellaneously in my notes app. I'm trying to go through Quizlet while I'm walking. Meanwhile, there's uneven pavements. I trip and my back is down for the count. And I I think I develop some sort of... ADHD during the surgery. Like, I don't know what's going on. I cannot focus for the life of me if I'm not moving, walking, playing something with my hands. I don't know what's going on. I've had a lot of trouble focusing since the surgery. I think a lot of times during school, like, I would have to work out before I studied to get that energy out. And so I walk a long time before I go and sit down and do something, but still don't really know trying to work through that. Otherwise, I have been the happiest. I've been creatively and the most satisfied with the work that I'm doing for this. I know that it doesn't seem like a lot's going on, but behind the scenes, I have—I truly mean that I have things planned for the future. And the next few weeks, a little housekeeping update. There are going to be episodes posted, but we're going to go into a little bit of under construction that you could look forward to. And I'm really appreciating the growth and the love on Instagram. So Thank you everyone for that. And I'm going to continue to try and do this for as long as I can. And I have a plan for the school year and it's going to be amazing. And the moment I started taking this more seriously, the more it became more fulfilling like it's real. And if I ever want this to go somewhere, this will be a little piece of what I've learned. If you want anything to go anywhere, if you have any goal, you have to take it seriously. Because before I was like, oh, it's more like a hobby, more like therapy. But then I realized that I want to build this, I want this to be something that I'm proud of that can stand on its own, that is sort of like my own self-branded business, if that makes sense. And I want to try and make it work as much as I can. And the moment I started approaching it from that angle and taking it more seriously and creating deadlines for myself, the moment I've been starting to see true growth. And I'm really proud of that and excited. So with all those life updates in mind, let's get into a hot minute. this week welcome to a hot minute this week we have a lot of fun pop culture news we're going to get into my takeaways my top four or five topics again a hot minute's going to be just sort of the pop culture things i want to touch on that i thought were pretty interesting so let's get into it the blindside movie the story is fake there's a new twist in the story of retired nfl tackle michael whose life story was subject to the 2009 Hollywood movie, The Blind Side. It's about how a wealthy woman, if you don't know, um, I think their last names were Lester. I don't remember, but the wealthy family adopted Orr out of poverty and helped him make it to the NFL. And now Orr is allegedly coming forward, or he's coming forward allegedly stating that a central part of the story is false. So basically in The Blind Side, Uh, Michael Orr, who is an amazing football player, was adopted out of poverty by a white family. And he is given a lot of resources and led to succeed in life and becomes an amazing football player and an amazing person overall. But before that, he was in deep poverty and what was portrayed as a lot of trouble. And this family took him in. He was a sweet, kind soul. And he really, it was just one of those heartwarming movies based on a true story. And a central part of that story was that Orr was adopted by the family. It turns out that several years later, he's now just coming forward stating that it wasn't actually adoption papers that he signed to be officially part of the family, but they were what's called a conservatorship. Oh my God, I can't speak. And that he made no money basically off the movie and that He didn't sign his right, he didn't sign the papers to become part of the family. It was more so that he wouldn't get any say in his story being told. Basically, it was a business transaction, not as much so as an adoption. And they gave everybody in the family, except for Orr, $225,000 from the hit, along with 2.5% of the pros, the uh, oh my god, box office profits. And I know that movie made. 300 million dollars in sales this that's crazy the first thing i thought of when i heard the story was because i loved the movie but also why now you know it's, it's clearly a money issue and how is he just coming forward now i don't something must have come up in their personal lives that we don't know about because how is he now just finding this out or is just finding out that he's not actually adopted just finding out so many, over 10 years later, I think 10, 13 years later, that, I don't know if I'm doing the math right, but that he isn't actually adopted and he didn't profit at all from the movie because basically to get the movie made, the family had sign over the rights to the story. And that was where the $225,000 came from that they all got paid besides Orr, who is the central part of the movie. So, I don't know, I'm just it shocked me that that story was false. I mean, I know that Hollywood obviously takes true stories and has to glamor- glamorize it for film, but why now? That's the one question I have. Because I don't, the timeline, I don't know, it is not adding up to me, to be quite frank. I don't know what's up, but not. That was sad to hear. Anyways, next up, Kim and Kanye documentary. Um, Why? Why, why, why? I have so many questions. I refuse to watch it for so many reasons. Number one, who the fuck needed a paycheck? who Who said they needed money? So let's exploit this emotional roller coaster that these two people are going on and get money off of it and profit off of it. And nobody was clearly thinking about their kids at all. I mean, with a divorce that public with basically some of the biggest stars of our country, Like, Kim and Kanye, like, no matter despite whatever they do, they're really famous. Everyone's going to know who they are. And when their kids go to school, like, North St. Chicago, whatever, and a kid asks, like, oh, what's happening with your mom and dad? He's like, oh, just watch it on HBO. He can catch it on Hulu. That's insane to me. There's no need for a documentary. And then I saw that it was, like, one part Kim, one part Kanye, and the Kim part was more so, like, she's struggling emotionally. Like, she needs to discover who she is. And the Kanye part's like, he's a creative genius, and he needs his own space. Like, Kanye's fucking crazy. I don't support him. I like his music. Do I support him as a, as a person? Absolutely not. Let the record show. Let the record show that I do not support Kanye as a person. His music is good. I like his music. But what he did to Kim. And I, you know what? I bet he's behind this documentary. I bet he definitely spearheaded this project into full production mode because from what I heard in the reviews that I saw, it seemed like pretty last minute put together, not really thought through. And no family matter should be that public. I don't care who it is. Nobody should know. Like, do I want to know? Yes. Of course I fucking want to know what's going on. But at the same time, it's like, I'm not that interested in, you know. I don't know. I just think it's unnecessary for a divorce documentary to be made about anybody. That's crazy. And I feel really bad for the kids at the end of the day because they're the ones that's going to suffer from this. That got way more serious than I thought, but I just think the whole idea is kind of ridiculous. And if anything, if anything, I want to know what's on with Kylie and Travis. I don't want a documentary on Kim and Kanye enough. I want to know what's going on with Chloe. I want to know what's going on with Kendall and Bad Bunny, PDA moment. Hello. And I want to know more about everyone else. I could care less about Kim and dumbass fucking Kanye. I don't want to hear about it anymore. Do I watch the Kardashians? No. Is it a guilty pleasure show? Yes. I will occasionally pop it on when I'm really bored or, you know what, I just need something I can rot to. That's it. But I just think documentary was unnecessary. I don't know who thought that was a good idea. Who approved that? I think we just need to reevaluate a lot of things if we are making movies like that. Like people wonder why I only watch sitcoms from the '90s or movies from the '80s and the '90s. It's be and the early 2000s because it's not complicated and because it's not overly politicized and they're just good old fun, and you can't have TV and movies like that anymore. I think it's ridiculous. Like the summer I turned pretty, hot take. It's it's terrible. <laughs> the acting is the acting is fine. I just I cannot take any of it seriously and does the plot line up with the books that i read in middle school yes but it is painful to watch but i will persevere and i will watch it anyways and the ending i don't want to spoil it but number one i thought there were going to be more episodes and you know i'll always be team conrad i'm gonna say all right next topic zoe de from new girl the new girl star is getting married to a property brother joseph i believe jonathan jonathan that's his name good for them honestly but is it wrong of me that every time i see her i just think it's jess i cannot she's one of the celebrities where i can't separate her character from who she is in real life obviously i know it's not jess but i look at her and i'm like oh jess would love that wedding dress she's not jess that's all i think of but good for them and then Lastly, an article recently came out, Taylor Swift is carrying our economy. A CBS article states that Federal Reserve says that Taylor Swift Air's tour boosted the economy. One market research firm estimated she could add $5 billion from increasing hotel revenues, thousands of dollars to indirectly helping local businesses all over the country, Increase by travel expenses. Taylor is pulling our country out of recession. This woman can do it all. If you're not a Swifty, you don't care about life. It's, it's beyond the music. She's literally a businesswoman carrying our economy on her back. This company, this world, this lifetime would be nothing without her. Uh, I cannot overstate that even more. She's literally carrying our economy on her back single-handedly. I was reading one article where it says that Chicago Hotel had the most bookings they've ever had in 10 years. Why? Because people are traveling all over the world to see this magnificent woman perform an amazing show that nobody should be able to do. No sane person should be able to do multiple times. And it's ridiculous that anyone would think otherwise, that she's not a genius. She's a businesswoman. She's an entrepreneur. She's a political activist. There's nothing that this woman cannot do. And if you can't get behind that, you know what? Agree or disagree. But the fact that she's carrying our economy is insane. One concert, one tour is shaking the world, shaking the world to its core. And nobody could do that. Nobody but her. She is, she's it. And there will always be more Taylor Swift news every week. Maybe not every week, but she's continuously raising the bar, setting it up 2,000%. And I have to applaud her for that. She is supporting local businesses. She is everything we need right now. That, that's crazy that one person can bring the country out of recession. I know she tipped like all of her security an extra $100,000. That's so generous of her. But also like very well justified because think of all the sets, the costumes, the amount of trucks, equipment for that whole production. But I hate to be working that, especially in the summer and the heat. Well, she is doing God's work. And that is all I have for a hot minute. Look forward to doing more segments like this. And let's get on with the show. Time to talk about the psychology behind why we want to be in a couple, why we feel pressure to be in a couple in our relationships, not in our relationships, in our 20s, and what this means moving forward. And we're also going to talk about the self-dating trend. Is it good? Is it bad? What are the psychological backings behind it all that more coming up after this quick break all right now we are going to get into it all right what is up with being single i was at i think i i didn't start to feel the pressure of being single really until i was at my grad party and at my grad party For high school, high school grad party, I was just chilling, minding my business, walking around, and all of a sudden, my relatives started asking, like, "Where's my significant other?" And this proceeded to happen throughout this first year of college. My brother got a girlfriend. That's been amazing. She's amazing. And then all of a sudden, my relatives are like, "Francesca, what are you doing? Just sitting around, messing around, twiddling your thumbs at school?" And then I started to realize that. As soon as I graduated high school, some sort of clock started, timer started, boop, ready to go. Timer is ticking, fertility is going down, you are dying <laughs> if you don't have a partner by 30. Um, that's crazy. I'm not even 20 and I'm already starting to feel this pressure and I'm not looking forward to any of the future pressure that's going to be going on. Pressures from life milestones. And then it's also all the podcasts I listen to. Obviously, I'm going on a little walks listening to a lot of podcasts. All of the podcasters I listen to are either coupled up or getting married. And I'm just thinking, what the fuck? I got to college, everybody that I met was that it was remotely attractive, coupled up. I was like, what the fuck? What is this? When did we all just decide after high school that we're just going to settle down, huh? I am waiting to settle down. I've never been part of hookup culture. I've never had a serious boyfriend because I don't know why. Um, actually, I do. <laughs> We're about to get into it that I know why. But I've never, it's I've never been unhappy alone. I've always wanted a boyfriend, you know, since middle school, as every teenage girl does, because it's so glamorized in the media. But it's never, there's never been a time in my life where I felt so lost without a significant other. Maybe that's because I haven't had one yet, but I don't feel, I don't connect to the pressure that's being put on me, if that makes sense. I don't I don't resonate with it. They're asking me, my family, like, why don't you have a boyfriend? I was like, I don't know. I I know why I like to be alone. I think a lot of the times I've reflected and I've learned, that I have a condition called hyperindependence. <laughs> it's an actual psychological condition, and it's an extreme form of self-reliance when an individual compulsively avoids relying on others for support or assistance. In the darkest mental health times in my life, I have one of the biggest triggers and warning signs for me is self-isolation. I completely will cut myself off from everybody because I want to pull myself out of the hole or I wanna dig myself deeper. Either way, I just completely isolate because I'm really scared of getting hurt, which is the truth. I don't really wanna let anybody in seriously. I'm very much, I'll do it my way, I don't need help, I don't need you, I can do it myself, which has hurt me in the past and I'm trying to learn that it's okay to accept help in areas like school, and areas just life in general. And it's taken me a while to navigate how to accept that help. But regardless, it's very hard for me to let somebody in. And when I did let one person in in the past, it really backfired on me. And I was so hurt. I didn't know. I think I just sort of shut down. I was like, you know what? I tried it. it wasn't for me. Uh, now I'm just going to move on with my life. But there, after that, I never sat down and was like, oh, I could really use a significant other right now, like to help me with this, not even for help, but just for a sort of comfort or support. And I never looked at a relationship like something I desperately needed. And my defense mechanism is repeating the phrase like men are trash. <laughs> men are trash. I do not need them. All they've done is hurt me and I've never felt good enough. So why... Would I go after that? You know, I've watched my friends in toxic relationships back and forth, back and forth in college, watch them back and forth. And I was like, that just seems like a lot of work at the end of the day. And also, our 20s are some of the most psychologically developmental important years of our lives, where we're truly like, I know it's very cliche to say we're finding ourselves, but neurologically speaking, the 20s are where we solidify our sort of self schema or our sort of notion of who we are not saying that that won't change because it does throughout life but the solid foundation that we've been building since our early teens is coming to a completion if that makes sense in our 20s our relationship early on could be very damaging to that it can form an extreme form of self-reliance i don't know there are several sort of disadvantages to building a relationship that early on that can harm us. And I've always seen relationships through that lens, if that makes sense. I want to be alone. I don't need anybody, not only because I don't want to get hurt again or because I'm going through a tough time and I don't want to let anybody in, but I just don't want to be, I've never wanted to be held back. I think also seeing what relationships around me in my life have brought outside of friends in terms of family, it's kind of hard to want that. I'm not going to go too deep into that, but long story short, I've just never, I've never felt this notion that I'm not complete without somebody else. Obviously in romance movies and books, the woman is totally engulfed with the guy and they present this idea that she wasn't complete until she met him and he wasn't complete until he met her. Right now, I feel I've done a lot of self-work this summer. feeling pretty complete. And now, I think every time I thought about having a relationship, I'm also like, I'm not done yet. And what I mean by that is I'm not done growing as a person trying to deal with her issues. I don't think I've done the right self work until now. By all means it can all go to shit in any day now. <laughs> Not saying I am cured in any way shape or form, but this summer I'm actually I've really done the self work, really done the self discovery. I have the tools. I feel like I need to succeed and all of a sudden lately there was this flip of the switch where I don't know if it's because I've been in sort of a quarantine some might say or I've just been lonely way too long because we'll get into the psychological drawbacks of that but a flip sort of went off a flip of the switch and I was thinking I want a relationship I want somebody not because I need them because I've proven that I don't <laughs> but it's not that it's the fact of I want a relationship because I just want somebody to share my life with I want somebody who values me who understands that I will always put me first and you know what I think I still need time to put me first and learn how to do that instead of putting other people first because I've been such a people pleaser and I've talked about this in the past and I just want a relationship to somebody to share my life with and because I'm not in a hookup culture it's been kind of hard obviously because that's what my generation is all about. And I'm going to do a whole nother episode on the psychology behind hookup culture, all that stuff. But for now, I just got to reflecting and I was like, why the shift now? Why do I want a relationship after I've, after I've gone through all I've gone through? Why now? Why such a strong desire? I mean, I've, I've basically been dating myself for a year. <laughs> In California, I would take myself out on dates. I took myself to cafes. I took myself out to dinner. I took myself to cycling class. I basically did the dating yourself shebang, and it was great. Would it have been nice to have been with a significant other? Yeah, probably. Probably would have loved that. But I feel like I've done the work, and now I'm ready. But the whole point of me saying this whole thing about my life is because I didn't want a boyfriend or a significant other because – of the societal pressures or any of the pressures that my family put me through. It was more so a switch that I made mentally. But for a lot of women and for me in the past, I felt this pressure to have somebody with me because that's what I needed. And so now we're going to dive into the psychology behind wanting to be single. You know, why did I wanna be single for so long? Why did I develop this hyper-independence? And I think I agree with the fact that psychologically, A lot of women growing up see it as a defense mechanism to avoid getting hurt. People who value being single see it as not to the point where something is lacking, but more things can be offered. And what I mean by this is that I've always viewed being single as sort of a freedom and not the like, yeah, freedom to get fucked up with my friends and I have a boyfriend to go back to or worrying about me. Not that sort of freedom, but freedom with my time, freedom with my life. I've had this freedom that. I don't know. I like being independent, and maybe that's just my hyper-independent stalking, but I've always liked being alone, and maybe that's being selfish. Maybe I don't know how to add somebody else into my life like most people should. That is a psychological drawback to being single for too long, not understanding how to put others first. And having a lot of self-isolative tendencies. I'm trying to get out of that. And I think maybe what caused the shift in me is because I'm not hyper-independent right now. Like, I've really taken the time to figure out how to let people in in a better way. That's not hurtful to me. So now that I want this relationship, I've been doing also a lot of reflecting. You know, I've – why? Why? The psychology behind the desire. Biologically, we're whether we want to or not, we are aware of our fertility status. In our early twenties, it's obviously not a pres um, a prevalent worry, but it's still like that internal clock that I was talking about sort of goes off, and you're thinking, why, why all of a sudden? I'm really young. I have so many more years ahead of me. But as a woman, I was realizing that we really, we really don't, we don't have that much time ahead of us. And my aunt was having a conversation with me, my mom, my grandma about one of my distant cousins came to my mom and asked for advice when she's starting to have another kid. And she's thinking of quitting her job to become a full-time mom, like my mom did. And my family members simply just said, well, that's what's expected. Like that's what they're supposed to do. No question. If anything, they were sort of weirded out that she'd asked that as if that was even a second thought that she wouldn't give up her life completely and completely know how to navigate motherhood without having the workplace and certain social interactions and a certain life that she should be able to just let go. And I was thinking, why? There has been so much growth in the world as to what's expected of women, not just to stay at home anymore. But at the same time, the world is built on this foundation that a mother is not seen as a good mother unless they are 100% in a work and 100% in their family. They're supposed to give 100% to two things that are, one, not not themselves, and two, that's impossible. The world is not structured around giving mothers adequate support And foundation that they need to succeed in raising a kid and having a career. It's just, it's not conducive. And we have this sort of timeline. And not biologically speaking, and you know, the societal standards set for us in life. It's like, as a woman, yeah, you can go, go off. We want you to be so successful until you're 30. And then when you're 30, stop. (laughs) All the progress you've made, throw that out the window. Time to whip out a kid. We don't have as much time. We're expected to reach all of our career goals academically, career-wise, life-wise. We're expected to do all we want to do for ourselves in 30 years, which basically starts when we're 20 because when we're 20 or 19, we have the freedom to do most things because we're becoming an adult and then we become an adult at 21. So really you have nine years to achieve everything you want to and then your needs are just put second and it's time for you to fulfill your natural duty. To be in a relationship and get your real life going, as if everything up to that point was sort of just dilly dallying and wasting time with a little career. If you can tell, I'm super passionate about this. Um. That. I don't know. I. I can't. I can't imagine why. I I understand why we we're expected. As women to conform to this and I know that's a little bit off topic, you know The whole society is not conducive to women having a career and full motherhood That's not the point of the episode, but just want a little bit of a tangent and I think it's especially prevalent in the stem field women in stem If you Have followed all the social media the instagram, etc. A lot of them are alone A lot of women seen having a successful career in stem are seen alone or they're just starting to get in a relationship so many years into their career and it's almost like i also internalized this image as a young child where i associated strong career woman with being alone you see it all the time and in movies and in books where women the strong like hard-headed career woman breaks down her heart when she meets a man and all of a sudden, she's like, I don't need my job. I'm just going to run away. And when she breaks down, like that's when her life, quote unquote, life begins. And that sort of strong image and that career were just thrown to the side like it was nothing. And I internalized a lot of that. I built this self-stigma and internalized it to where I associate women being strong and having a successful life and career, whatever that may look in your eyes, To being alone. And I think that's what sort of stuck with me. And I didn't realize it until doing the research for this episode, actually, that that's why I'm so prone to not really wanting a relationship. Like, I I want one now, but I'm saying in the past. I was never really like, oh, I want a boyfriend so bad because I'm so focused on my career. Put it this way when all my friends were talking about, you know, getting married and having kids and looking into the future. I didn't see any of that up till still, I don't, I've never saw myself like in the future with a family and like some beautiful house with a husband. Like I saw myself in an apartment with my scrubs laying on the couch, my lab coat hanging on the door and me running late with a piece of toast in my mouth. That's what I saw when I looked into the future because of that self stigma that I internalized from a really young age. And it all comes back to how we unconsciously internalize these connotations behind the language that we use. For example, like an older woman that is single is known as sort of a spinster, but then a guy is a bachelor. It's that simple language that we don't realize we put into this schema. And a schema is a psychological bookshelf or shelf that we start to Associate things with as a child, as when we're growing up, we have schemas of what, when we're learning what cars and objects look like, those are schemas. So when we think of relationships and marriage and, you know, being single versus not single, as we get older, we start to put all of these information and context we see from the outside world, from the media, from our family into that schema. And based on a lot of the movies, a lot of the media, I know growing up now is way different than what I experience growing up where they have so much more access to technology not saying that we didn't but they my sister has way more access to technology and social media and societal pressures at an earlier age than I ever did and their schemas are fortunate enough where the world is evolving in a place that's straying away from that you know 1950s stereotype but at the same time with society is not constructed to, fit a woman doing 100% career and 100% a relationship, then there's always going to be a part of everyone's schema that feels that pressure to not be single. Society treats us as an outcast, whether we like it or not. Society values couples and partnerships, and it's associated with more praise and personal fulfillment and better economic situations and deals and there are a lot of psychological damages to being pressured and being single shamed into falling into the trap of what is known as a normal life in a relationship internalizing the societal standard that you need to be in a relationship extremely can damage a woman's self-esteem and image which for example is you can see this one when you get ghosted right You like a guy, you're talking to a guy and he ghosts you. And most nine times out of 10 times, you're not thinking to yourself, he's an idiot. What is he doing? Like, why did he do that? Instead of asking, like, what did he do? What was going through his mind? It's always, oh, wait, what did I do? Because we've been conditioned to always think it's our fault as women that we did something wrong, like we broke the relationship if that makes sense. I definitely think that you can be happy and single. And people will normalize a script of being in a relationship and force that onto you. And then you start to internalize that as well. I'm happy and I'm single. And I didn't start to feel this pressure until I graduated from high school and being my first year of college. And then I started to question should I be single? Like, should I be a relationship? I, I don't know. I never thought it was abnormal to be single until I started feeling some sort of pressure externally. And then it made me rethink my life and my goals when that shouldn't be. And I've explained how I'm happy to be single. And my motivation for relationship is that I want to share my life with somebody. But at the same time, now that I have wanted one, I sort of feel this cognitive dissonance where I almost feel guilty for wanting to abandon this independence that I've built. And is that really wrong of me? I understand, you know, the natural duty to fulfill marriage, love, compassion, a relationship, because it fulfills the need for connection. Psychologically, our most fundamental need is to be liked, to fit in. And two psychologists, Alexandra Fisher and John Sackaluk, conducted a 2020 study are single people stigmatized to uncover the extent at which society devalues singlehood from that singles face prejudice discrimination stemming from negative beliefs attitudes and stereotypes along with economic disadvantages and they found that single people are fundamentally discriminated against in society and after doing all the research and really taking a step back, I feel that women are both visible and invisible in society. And I mean by, I came across the realization that we always have a magnifying glass on us. We are being watched all of the time by everybody around us as women, because that's just what society is conducive to. That's what we're used to. And we're so visible To the point where this notion of the perfect family, husband, wife, that a woman needs a man or needs a relationship will always be there. And there will be this magnifying glass that comes closer and closer and closer until we're 30 or 40 or wherever that may be, where somebody will sit you down and it's like all eyes are on you. In that aspect, women are completely visible, more visible than anybody else. On the other hand, I could the magnifying glass could be right pressed up against your head, and they still will not be able to see you for an independent person with career goals with life goals with values with pathways that are outside a relationship as soon as you hit that mark. Nobody's seeing women when you reach that point as anything outside the needs of building a family where I was talking about this time constraint that women have to fulfill career goals and life goals before that biological clock starts ticking and we have 30 years to be successful and work as hard as I can until it's time to stop. And then that's it. I am the biggest hopeless romantic in the world. I believe that soulmates exist. I don't Despite all of the hardships in relationships that I've seen, that I've witnessed, I believe that re- good relationships exist, and I have a soulmate, and that's something I I hope I still have, and I hope I still cherish. And I don't know if that's just built into my schema because of all the movies and the romance books that I read and see, but this pressure that I'm already feeling at 19, I cannot imagine the psychological impact that this has had on women in the past, where the pressure has been even greater. And no wonder women have histories of being not as confident and decreased self-esteem because the long-term effect of internalizing this notion of what we could be, it decreases our motivation, fundamentally and neurologically speaking, to do anything else, to desire to reach for the stars, to envision our lives for bigger than they ever could be. Because from a very young age, we are shown that our lives can be as big as we want them to be until we reach that time point. And the sooner that we break that self-stigma down, the sooner we can have healthier relationships, we can want more for our lives. And I think that's where the true psychological turn point is. The self stigma that we, that I've been talking about this whole time, is I know I say internalize a lot, but basically taking all of the societal preconceived standards, notions, pressures, and putting it into this idea, whether we like it or not, unconsciously, of what our life should be looking down the line. The sooner we break that down and identify and physically write down what we think a successful future will look like and break down this idea that, I should have a man by this time. I should be hitting the milestone and dating somebody by this time. The sooner that you will realize that you are more than a relationship and you don't need one. And you shouldn't jump into a relationship because you feel that self-stigma and that negative critic that I was talking about last time creep up and start to doubt your life path. Because ultimately, this self-stigma will cause doubt. And cause that negative self-critic. And I talked about this earlier, but how you start to take in what everyone else is saying about your life and where you should be. And you start to question yourself when there's no problem. You are on your own path. And a relationship should come naturally, should come because you want to share your life with somebody. That you are ready for it. And you know that you have enough strength, you feel like you want a relationship, and it shouldn't be because of this idea called the grass is greener syndrome. The grass is greener syndrome is you have an inability to feel content with your life as it is, and you relentlessly seek something better. I think a lot of times when we're young, we view a relationship as something that we're supposed to have, not only that, but also as something you can't have. And psychologically, it's in our basic basic building blocks that we're always going to desire something that we can't have. It's very cliché. It's like the man gets the guy that, or the girl that rejected him like he can't have her, so he's just going to go and get her. But it is an actual syndrome and you have to think about why you want a relationship and it's if it's because of that or all of the societal pressure jumps into this idea called the scarcity effect, which is the cognitive bias that makes people place a higher value on an object that is scarce or lower value on one that is available in abundance. So a combination of the grass is greener effect and the scarcity effect where we think that once we find somebody, that's it. We have to lock them down because who knows when the right man will come along. And it basically causes us to diminish our standards and settle because we think that there's not another man out there, which is a basic part of our survival instincts. As humans were evolving, we took as many resources as we could, to put this in very layman terms, and didn't try to look for anything else, essentially settle, because we didn't want to risk losing what we already had, aka the scarcity effect. And if there was a resource that we saw somebody else have, then the grass is greener syndrome came in and we wanted to take that as much as we could. And that applies to relationships In the fact that I see my friends in relationships and despite if they're toxic or if they're not the best relationship, I'm always thinking, "Ugh, oh, I wish I had a relationship. I wish I was in one. When you're watching somebody portray this image of being satisfied and having a person to share their life with. And once I've been in a sort of situationship, I sort of felt this pressure to make it official because of, I think, the scarcity effect. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to find anybody else. This is it. I got to lock it down. And that wasn't good for anybody. That's not good, reflective, or ref- a good reflection of how I should be as a partner. That's not how I should have gone into any relationship. And those concepts combined can be a reflection and a sort of portrayal of when I say internalize the self-state the stigma to be in a relationship that's what I that's what's coming into play that's a way that we take the societal standard and it's psychologically impacting us and we are feeling pressure to be in a relationship that's not how anybody should go about it it's just You have to, the point of this episode is that we have to be careful when we're getting into relationships. You know, why are we getting into relationships? And I did the whole, you know, dating yourself thing in California. Basically, I've been dating myself for a whole year. And I talked about the self schema. And a self schema, you know, schemas are those categories in our brain that we build from a young age, like when we are observing, you know, trying to learn what a car is, what TV is, what our family is. Those are all, Schemas—they're internalized. They're built into our brain. They're images of what things should look like. And from a young age, I, ha- I had two schemas: career and work, or work and a relationship. Career and relationship—they're two different things. My—I realized that I had the cognitive dissonance when I, when I recently wanted a relationship. When I was like, hmm, like I would really like somebody to share my life with. And then I felt uncomfortable that I was abandoning this independence because. I realized that my schema of being a strong woman in the workforce and having a successful career in STEM did not involve a relationship at all. And when I saw and viewed relationships, it did not involve career at all. There were two separate entities in my mind that could not coexist and be successful at the same time. I realized that I, despite being hyper-independent and wanting... Nothing to do with a relationship so I could be quote unquote successful because that's what I took in as a young age, as a young person developing and growing up that when I went in a relationship, I was like, I felt so uncomfortable. I felt this disconnect, the cognitive dissonance between my brain and my body because I was going against the one schema, the one part of myself that doesn't see a career being conducive with a relationship. And I didn't – I haven't succumbed to – I mean, I have in the past, the grass is greener and scarcity effect. I talked about that one sort of situation that I was in where I was like, I feel like I need to lock this down. But I just – I don't know. I didn't understand – I didn't realize that I had such a strong stigma in me. Like, I didn't realize I – took it in. I don't know. I'm trying to think of another word besides internalized, but I didn't realize it was so strong in my life because of how hyper-independent I am mm-hmm. until I did the research for this episode and really self-reflected on how I go into relationships and how I approach wanting a relationship and my intentions and how I've unconsciously felt societal pressures that are have been externally placed on me, but also that I've built growing up and my image of what a successful woman looks like. Consciously, it doesn't look like a man and a woman and a family in that picture perfect 1950s image, but I think a part of me still feels like that's what I'm supposed to do. Even regardless of all of the advances we've made in the world. Somewhere, it's I mean, it makes sense because we're biologically programmed to want connection. You know, I can go into the certain hormones that are released that we need to basically release serotonin and be happy that comes with human connection and you know the whole biological clock fertility unconsciously as women we we feel this pressure already so there's the biological clock and then there's also the external clock and i don't know as we're getting older and we're going into college and being in college that clock just seems to be ticking faster and faster and then i was like why do i want a relationship now like I understand I've done a lot of the self-growth, I've done a lot of the self-worth, but we have to just approach relationships for the right reasons. And it's hard to with everything going on and what we're expected of as women. Point blank, that's it. I don't care if we can be as progressive as we want to be, but it's the fundamental fact that society is not conducive to single people and it's really hard not to fall into that trap of, you know, the grass is always greener effect where you're just thinking, oh, it'll be so much easier if I had a relationship or you're in a relationship and you feel pressure to get married and lock it down because you don't know what's going to happen next and who's going to come along and there might be somebody better, you know, that, or there might not be somebody better, the scarcity effect. And then you have this other half of the world that's dating yourself, reclaiming independence, reclaiming your independence And now I just want to say, to wrap this episode up, how I sort of became at peace with this uncomfortableness of wanting a relationship and then also feeling like I'm abandoning my independence in some way. And after doing a lot of thinking, self-reflecting, doing the research for this, I understand that the dating yourself trend while being, you know, romanticized and all online, it's proving to you that you can do things that society says or normalizes with a partner and once i started you know going to spin alone going to coffee alone proving that i can do mental and social things alone made me break down that stigma that i had inside me that i didn't understand that was even there and once i proved that i can do these fulfilling activities by myself that I didn't need a, a partner to do them like most people feel comfortable with or society has built these activities around a partner. Once I proved to myself that I can do them by myself now and I've done the self-growth to realize that I, I want a partner for the correct reasons, it's sort of allowed myself to push that stigma aside, to push that schema aside that I can't be successful in a relationship and be good in my work and make room for letting somebody in. And it was really helpful to date myself, understand that in order to let somebody else in and want a relationship for the correct reasons, I had to break down the societal barriers that I had been subjected to internalizing. And I didn't realize were are there unconsciously, truly. I really have been an independent person all my life. You can ask anybody that knows me. I feel like I reject help from anybody. And yet there was always a part of me that I didn't realize that wanted, felt like they needed a partner to do certain things in life. And then once I proved and I'm starting to prove that I don't need a partner to do that, I feel that I'm ready. I hope that makes sense in some capacity. Um, But yeah. The dating myself thing allowed me to branch out and try new things and allowed me to break down the concept and stealth stigma that society has engulfed on women. And now I feel ready for relationships. So break down those barriers, woman. <laughs> Just break them down. Knock them down. Take an ax. Throw it. <laughs> but yeah, now I feel like I'm not... It's not... There's no societal pressure. external pressure that's sort of sneaking its way in to make me want a relationship. It's not because of the biological clock. It's not because of the grass is greener or whatever. It's because I'm truly ready. And I think that the point of this episode that I want to portray across to you is that I just wanted to share the different ways that societal pressures can be portrayed and be seen. Because when you hear about the grass is greener effect, you don't think, oh, that's us internalizing societal pressures to be with somebody but it is and the more we become aware of how the notion and the sort of stigma to being signal single is present psychologically we can be aware of how to break down those barriers and understand and draw boundaries between hyper independence and needing a relationship because this is not this is not a be single podcast this, i mean I'm all for reclaiming independence and being single, but it's just more so spreading awareness and making sure that you're getting into relationships for the right reasons. And hopefully understanding some of the psychology can help you form healthier relationships and understand when you feel ready to have one. So that is all that I have for today. Make sure to show the Instagram some love. I'm really having a lot of fun creatively performing and not performing, but building this content up with you guys. And I'm really excited for the next chapter. Season two, announcement! (laughs) Season two is coming. Launch date, TBD. But yeah, thank you so much. And until next time, see you guys to talk about everything all at once.